Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. Well, what a difference a week or two makes in the strange world we're currently living in. For us, in our part of the world, inquiries and more importantly decisions and signed contracts continue to increase. It seems that a bit of pent-up demand is starting to come out of the woodwork. A few steady weeks of neutral political rhetoric has helped coax some businesses into committing to space. It seems that our politicians are now starting to maintain the same storyline. The fact that they kept changing their minds every five minutes did not help with stability. But now that things have been a little bit more neutral, we're seeing some of that pent-up demand coming out, which is brilliant. And I hope things are also improving in your part of the world. It's also interesting to point out, I'm also seeing quite a number of commercial deals being concluded now by friends and mentees I'm working with Personally, it's so good to see their hard work paying off and that deals are happening. A few of the people that I speak to on a regular basis have also been asking me about commercial real estate investing. What are the key advantages that I see in it? And the answer does depend on what you compare it to. For me, these comparisons are to maybe standard and interest paying investments or, of course, residential investing. And not that I really want to compare and contrast between the two. So I have a few thoughts that have lined up. And these are a little bit more than just about CMOs. This is more about the general market. And I've actually come up with 24 reasons. There will, of course, be some more. And there'll be some that are more relatable to you than others. I know which are my favourites. The others are just a bonus. I did cover this topic before specifically in reference to CMO properties rather than the more general market, as I say, but today I'm just going to broaden the conversation. And of course, it would be remiss of me not to cover some of the downsides, which I'll talk about later. The mitigation of those is possible, but I'll reserve that for another episode. Interestingly, some of the disadvantages could be construed as advantages too. For example, the market is not very transparent, which some see as a problem. In fact, some may even say it's as clear as mud which can be viewed as a downside. But for me, that is an advantage because there's less people looking at the market. But hang on, wait a minute, let's cover that when we get stuck into the 24 in a minute. First of all, I want to thank Niven for a great iTunes review recently. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of the new members of the Facebook group. If you're interested, there is a link in the show notes and there've been loads of new applications coming through right now, which is excellent. And as we all know, an increase in members in the Facebook group and indeed people listening to podcasts is really going to add value to all of us. And I just want to let you know that in the background, there are lots of checks going on to try and make sure we curate that group in the best way we can. Well over 50% of the applications are actually rejected. 
I think it's really important that we try to keep the topics on point as much as possible. And although they're interesting topics, we don't really necessarily want to hear about Bitcoin or a holiday home in a commercial property group. So we're just trying to keep that down to a minimum. And if someone slips through the net and starts popping up stuff there in posts that are completely irrelevant to the subject, then please flag them up to myself or the team and we'll try and deal with them as quickly as possible. Either remove the post or at least have a conversation with the person that's popped it up there just to go through some of the group etiquette. And as the group grows, that is going to become more difficult to maintain. So any help from yourselves would be really gratefully received. If you yourself have applied but not received confirmation, please remember to answer the questions because automatically that may mean you're not going to get in. And apply as yourself, not as a company. We all want to deal with real faces and real people. If you want to learn more about commercial, it is a safe space to ask questions and to link up with like-minded people. So I really encourage you to dive in there. You'll find the link in the notes. So let's dive in then. Here are 24 great reasons I think commercial property should be high up on your radar. In fact, whilst making some of the notes for this podcast episode, I've reminded myself how amazing this sector is. Which are your favourites? And if you're new to this game, pick some. Don't need to be all of them. Keep focused on those three, four, five, whatever it is that you pick, because you'll need to remind yourself of them every now and then when things get foggy or challenging. Write them down, keep them front and centre. So in no particular order, let's go through them. I have my personal favourites, see if you can work out what they are and I'll reveal them at the end. So the first one that came to mind was less competition. Remember when you're residential and you're going to look at some of those properties, how many other people are lining the street? How many other people are bidding on those properties? It can be difficult to uncover properties that others are not seeing because that market has more transparency and lots more people looking at the market. So the competition can be quite fierce. Commercial, the competition can be less. Second thing is, there's no additional purchase taxes that you would find in personal and residential. So purchase of, say for instance, an additional home might attract additional dwelling supplement. Not in commercial. That's a big advantage sometimes in your initial costs. The third one, which, to be fair, is in residential too, is leverage. Oh my, where would we be without leverage? It's, it's one of those things that we end up taking for granted. But if you're investing in something like the stock market or other derivatives, shares, whatever, you're not going to get any leverage. In commercial and residential, you can get leverage, which really helps accelerate your growth. The fourth one, which I mentioned earlier on, is the market is clear as mud. I think that is an opportunity because it makes it difficult for people to spot the opportunities because of that lack of transparency. It can be difficult to work out what's actually a good deal and what isn't, which is great because it can mean there's less competition for it. The fifth one is typically the purchase tax or the purchase costs or the land and buildings tax where we are is less than residential. The bigger the deal, the less the difference, but it is something to consider again when you're buying that property. We bought a fairly substantial building recently and I was checking through the numbers and our our land tax is about six grand. If it had been residential it would have been considerably more. Don't get me wrong I really don't want to pay it at all anyway but it is something to 
Think about when you're looking at all those costs that add up on top of your residential purchase price. The sixth one is VAT. So a lot of the buildings that we buy are already elected to tax. And when you've got VAT registration on these buildings, any of your expenses to do with those buildings can be reclaimed in terms of VAT. Not always the same in residential, is it? And it can add up. So in commercial, all your expenditure on maintenance, refurbishment, professional fees, all these things can be reclaimed. Now, I appreciate when you're charging out to customers, you may be concerned you have to charge a customer VAT. But as I've mentioned before, most of our customers don't bat an eyelid because they're commercial customers. Generally, they're VAT registered. Now, it does depend on what sector you're going to be going after, of course. But I wouldn't worry about VAT as a charge out to your customers as much as maybe you are. It, it's something to get your head around, I appreciate, but it is a benefit. The seventh one is there's much more balanced contracts for landlords. So as a landlord, the pendulum in residential is way, way out with the tenant, way out with the tenant, even more so during COVID times. But I do believe that with the commercial sector, it's much more balanced between the landlord and the tenant. And in fact, it's very much down to the contract between the landlord and the tenant. There are a few rules around those, but the majority of the conditions are within the contract for you and your tenant or you and your landlord to agree rather than to have a standard set of conditions implied upon you by governmental or local council stipulations. So it just means it's more balanced. It does mean you have less periods of time where perhaps people might be taking the mickey. The eighth one is commercial really allows you to be creative. Now, if you feel like a creative person or not, or if you just like looking for ideas and opportunities to add value, commercial is a great sector for that. And you may have honed your skills on that in residential. And what that can often do is lead to either a higher rental or indeed a slightly higher price to sell the property. But in commercial, when you add that higher rental, that can have a direct impact on the additional value of the property. It can be really quite significant. So the creativity that commercial allows you to do will actually really allow you to grow the size of your pot, which is really important if you want to then leverage that for the next building. The ninth one is Values determined more by your actions and the rental rather than market sentiment. So it's a little bit of a crossover what I just discussed in the previous one. But basically in residential, you can add your extension, an extra bedroom, whatever it is. And then you need to sit and wait for market sentiment to change to potentially put the price of your property up. However, in commercial, you can constantly tinker with the rental, the income, the tenancy, whatever's in there to keep increasing the value and you're less determined by market sentiment. Of course, macroeconomic things will affect yields and sometimes yields get suppressed or pushed up, which then means that prices go down, but prices also go up. I appreciate that. But I think the overall impact of your creativity on the rental has a bigger impact. So the 10th one is commercial can generally give you longer term income. Sometimes 20 years. We've got some um, contracts in place with customers that are 20 year leases. So it's a long time, isn't it? Especially if it's a fully 
repair and insuring lease where effectively the customer is in charge of maintenance repairs and handing that building back to you in the same condition it was when they took it on in the first place. Now it doesn't always work out. Of course people go bust more so these days than before. Yes, stuff happens, but those longer term leases in general will give you much less hassle. The 11th one is that it's less likely to get a delinquent tenant who you have to house even though they're not paying you, which I know that some people out there are suffering with at the moment in the residential market. With no end in sight, when can I possibly get this person to pay? In commercial, with those contracts I was talking about, you're less likely, you may still get delinquent tenants, of course, but there are other mechanisms in place, or should be in place, depending on how you've done your lease or your licence, to protect you against that and allow you to maybe remove that tenant so that you can get some other income in quicker than you would with residential. The twelfth one is it can be really passive if you want it to be. There is a balance between active and passive in commercial. Active is really going to allow you to be that creative and add value. Passive is when you're sitting back and enjoying the fruits of your labours. But commercial can be much more passive than resi. At least, that's my feeling on it. For instance, we've got one property. I haven't been in it for well over a year. It has an income coming in every month and we have no expenditure no electricity worry about nothing because it's all in a full repairing insuring lease and we haven't needed to be in the property for that time so it's pretty passive that one the 13th one one building could be enough if you're after financial freedom because some of these buildings can really produce great income if you find them at the right price and you get the right tenant and increase the income it can be really beneficial it was one of the key things for me was trying to find a product type a building that could give me more scale, I guess. The next one is capital allowances. Now, this might not apply to you and where you are in your part of the world. And currently in the UK, capital allowances have gone up again. Some instances, you will get up to 130% of your investment to write off against your profit, which is brilliant. In other parts of the world, it will be called different things. But basically, this is when you're spending money on either movables or some of those electrical items perhaps demountable partitioning, things that could be removed from the building. They can be capitalised. And at the moment, with the current tax situation, you can write those straight against your annual profit. Of course, you need to be making a profit to count that against it, but you can significantly reduce your tax bill through capital allowances. The 15th one is it's particularly good for SAS pensions or SIP pensions for UK investors. There will be again other pension opportunities in other countries. But in the UK, we have a system called a SAS pension where you can have your own pension pot that you administer yourself. It can be shared with up to 11 people actually. And it's something that you can pass on to your children. And it's a way of putting a tax-free wrapper around commercial property. It's very good if you have the desire to put a mix of commercial into your pension directly yourself. Because through normal route of a pension, you might have to invest in a REIT. You might have to invest through shares and companies that are involved in the property market. But that means you haven't got direct control of it. Whereas with a SAS pension, you have. 
And as many of you know, SAS, SAS trustees, you're not able to put residential directly into that either, which does mean that commercial is just being forced to be that bit more attractive for that particular investment vehicle. The 16th one is you can occupy your own building, of course, and pay yourself instead of another landlord. So if you've got your own business, why not try and buy your own building? Maybe get an oversized one so that you can rent out space to somebody else, but at least pay your own pension or your own company the rental for a commercial building that you might be using. The 17th one is it's less onerous in terms of those tenancy agreements. So you don't have to necessarily provide everything. Now, there are obviously some things that you will have to do legally to make that building occupiable, etc. But even then, depending on the contact type that you have, it can be over to the tenant to do whatever is needed to get that building up to a certain spec. So they are less onerous. More to negotiate on, shall we say. The 18th one is the government are not putting the squeeze on right now for this particular sector, whereas they are on other sectors. There is that feeling of a constant march in the residential sector that they're trying to encourage institutional investment in residential. And ironically, because of some of the tax changes, it's almost as though they're saying you can only invest in residential if you're rich or if you have a big pot of money. Not if you want to leverage your debt, which is a bit frustrating, but that's just the way it seems to be at the moment. There seems to be this inevitable march towards institutional investments rather than um, small private investors. Don't get me wrong, there's still great deals to be had, but it is just getting slightly tedious the way that we're being persecuted a little bit as residential investors. Not so in commercial at the moment. The 19th one was, with my model in particular, with multiple tenants under one roof, it really is great for economies of scale. I love economies of scale. That's what I wanted to find when I was ready to move on from buy to let. I wanted to find something that would allow me to reduce the overall effect of my costs by sharing amongst more and more scale. That's really what economies of scale is about, isn't it? Is taking some of your basic fixed costs and sharing them out over as many income streams as you can. Multi-let buildings will give you that. It doesn't have to be a CMO model specifically, but having multiple properties or multiple tenants under one roof will give you more economies of scale. Not necessarily linked to geography. So with residential, sometimes people will have a portfolio that's fairly wide, and that may mean that they have to travel a little bit more. Now, we can put them out to agents, of course, and we can do the same in commercial. But if you're tackling a certain type of commercial property, you may be able to keep them a little bit more closer together, which may mean that your team has less distance to cover with bigger properties, which means you get that economies of scale. The 20th one was more potential uses in residential. So in the UK, and particularly in England, some of the rules are changing. So there's, there's more and more uses for commercial. And funnily enough, that includes residential. So you could convert your commercial into resi, but also there are many other exit strategies for commercial. The 21st one was more professional, less emotional. So what I mean by that is there is a more professional approach in general from tenants, sellers, buyers, 
professionals, maybe not the funders, <laughs> I'm kidding, no, they're maybe just a different breed, but most of the people involved in commercial are less emotional, more professional, which can be refreshing sometimes. The 22nd one, more scale, not necessarily economies of scale, but more scale in terms of income can really impact your plans. Taking on larger projects, which commercial can be, will have its risk, but also it can have big impact on your plans, particularly if you do them well and you manage to buy them well and add value well. It can really impact your plans. And that was, again, what I was really looking for when I moved into commercials. How, how do I get more scale? I didn't really know it was going to be commercial deals, but that's what it ended up being because I realised that you can get that scale in there. The 23rd one was higher cash flow. That should have been probably a wee bit earlier on in this list. Typically 10% or higher. We go for much more than that. That's what our target is, higher than that. But it's generally higher than most of the residential assets you'll get. I know some of the more sophisticated models will give you a higher return. But in commercial, the base rate is fairly high. It's well known to have good cash flow. And then the last one, just one I've sneaked in here because it has again been something that we've benefited from, is sometimes there are grants or incentives and of course tax breaks available for certain buildings in certain areas. That might be because they're in a regeneration area, it might be because the building is historical or important civic property where there is some pots of money available for potentially refurbishing the space or at least for in our case in one of our buildings was the exterior. The incentives might be perhaps tax breaks because you're investing in a certain area where there is a, a tax shelter or a, a banding around that geographical area to improve and increase the amount of investment. So these are things to consider and they're not always available for resi, but they are often there for commercial. So something to look into. So there's 24. There are, of course, some downsides. And it would be remiss of me not to mention some of them, of course. But just have a think through that list. Was there some in there that really rings true to you? Maybe you're a SaaS investor. Maybe that's the really important one to you. Or maybe you're just after getting away from all this public and government squeezing. Maybe it's to be creative. Maybe it's because you just want to find something a bit more passive. You're not necessarily after the active. You want to trade some resi in and buy some passive stuff now. And that's fine. Pick out whichever ones really suit yourself and what you're after. But on the downsides, let's just quickly note some of those. Typically, you're going to need a higher deposit. Now, not always, but often you'll need a higher deposit in this sector. I don't think people quite grasp it sometimes, but it does depend on the property, you, your skills, your experience, the serviceability, there are lots of factors that will affect your funding and the deposit that's required. So you just have to go and seek out professional advice on that and you have to prepare yourself and just get to understand all the different levers in that particular area because it is a bit more complicated than resi and typically you might need a higher deposit. The second one is lack of liquidity. So in resi, if you need to sell a house, yeah, okay, it might have a tenant in it and that might make it slightly more complicated. But generally, certainly in the current market, it doesn't take too long to make that transaction happen. In commercial, can take longer. 
If you've got a good tenant in there and you're looking to do a flip and you've set it up well and you've got a good income coming in and the sector's hot, like industrial right now, then I don't think you'll have a problem selling it. But the liquidity is something to consider. Do you need your money out fast? If you do, commercial might be slightly more challenging. The third one, a downside, some would say, is the lack of information, the lack of clarity. But as I said earlier on, I see that as an advantage, as long as you can work out where the information is. The fourth one is business or property taxes, even when they're vacant. So in the UK, we have business rates. And even when the property's empty, we have to pay a considerable amount of the business rates to the local authority, local council, for the privilege of having an empty property. And that can be painful. There are ways to mitigate it, but it is painful if you don't get it right. The fifth one is you will need more professionals for each project, and therefore there's going to be more fees. But that comes hand in hand with the fact that they're bigger scale, right? And there's slightly more risk. So you just need to pay a little bit more to get the right professionals, to get the right advice, to make sure you don't make any mistakes. The sixth one is, if you're leasing single-let spaces, maybe not so much the multi-let, then you can have longer voids than residential lettings. And that might impact, well, it will impact your cash flow. So you might need to have a slightly higher buffer for when those void periods come along. Depends on your strategy. So a couple of other things to mention. We have a CMO club on Clubhouse and are now holding regular rooms on Thursday evenings. So if you are on Clubhouse or you're not, go and get yourself an iPhone. Clubhouse is this new chat app. I'm at Jerry Alexander. And look at the clubs that I follow in the little list at the bottom of my profile. And there you'll see the CMO Commercial Property Club. Click on that. Give it a follow. Click on the bell. It'll give you alerts whenever we go live. As I say, that's going to be Thursday evenings at the moment. And generally we chat about a topic related to CMO. But also you have a chance to pop up, ask a question or two if you wish. If there's something you'd like to ask or something that's on your mind about this particular sector. The second thing that will only really suit our UK listeners is that at long last, we're hoping to run a Cashflow 101 board game evening. And that target date at the moment is the 24th of May. We're going to hold it in our own restaurant space. Spaces will be limited, I'm sure, due to COVID. But things are, you know, steady, as I was saying at the start of the podcast. The rhetoric seems to be fairly even keel at the moment. So we think we should be able to do it on the 24th of May. And if you're interested, then follow the link in the show notes to at least our website and pop your name down because we'll just update through that when that date is firmed up. And more importantly, when we've got some kind of booking facility. So you just need to get your name on the, on the database for that. It will be first come, first serve as always. And I do think that there is a chance that that is going to be um, oversubscribed because of the limited numbers that we can get in due to COVID. So I'm just giving you a heads up on that. 24th of May, bung that in your diary if you think you can make that um, and join us. The evening will include a um, wood-fired pizza, of course, from the restaurant and a soft drink in the price. Price is not going to be expensive. We haven't completely firmed that up yet. It's really just going to be to cover chefs um, and staff because we're going to try and run that as a closed event in the restaurant. Right then, let me share which of the 24 are my personal top five. These are the ones that really motivate me. So... Number one, there's less competition. 
I feel when I go out and look at buildings, I have an opportunity to actually study it instead of having to put the offer in next Friday when the flipping closing date comes along. There's less competition. The second one is the market is as clear as mud. It's difficult for people to spot the opportunity. That lack of transparency really puts people off and hides opportunity. I think that's a great thing. The third one is the being creative. The ability to add value to our properties by some of the things that we do either physically in the property or on the balance and sheet and the profit and loss. It's fantastic. There's so many ways to add value in this market, which then really allows you to scale and build momentum. And then the fourth one is that scale thing. I really wanted to find scale, the opportunity to scale, to have real impact on our long-term plans. And commercial's really done that for us. And the fifth one is higher cash flow. Commercial property, when you get started, most of the commercial stuff that's on the market generally has a tenant in it. The kind of market rate is looking for maybe between giving you a 6 to maybe a 10% income, which is okay, right? But actually hidden in there, there are opportunities to get buildings that will give you 10%, 15%, 20%, 30%, even higher every year return on your investment. There is lots and lots of opportunity for higher cash flow and commercial. So those are my five. Less competition, clear as mud, creative, add value, more scale and higher cash flow. So that's about it for this week. Thank you for listening in. If you've enjoyed it, then please do share on the socials or just with a colleague or two who are interested in upping their property investing game and maybe introducing commercial to them. Keep seeking those deals, putting in offers and being productive. Once you play the numbers game, it will happen for you. My name's Jerry Alexander, and thank you for listening to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast. 